Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie. I am your host, Tyler, and joining me today for our official National Championship Game Preview episode is my longtime co-host, Curtis. Last week, as a guy who watched TCU very closely all season long due to some serious financial interest I had in the Horned Frogs, I jumped on here solo and brought you guys the ultimate TCU primer, but Curtis is here today to help me take it a step further by talking matchups, game plans, keys to the game, all that stuff. And to also give you our actual national championship predictions. So we got a ton to talk about today, which means we need to go ahead and dive right into this. And Curtis, I want to start here. I think one of the interesting aspects of this game that I haven't really heard discussed all that much is the more compressed timeline for this game with only, I guess, roughly eight days of actual prep as opposed to a full month in the lead up to the semifinals. So who does that compressed timeline favor in this matchup, Kurt? I'd be honest, I think it favors us. And the reason I say that is because realistically, we have a staff and a team um, who have a real feel for how to approach this. I think the experience from the staff with the last two championships they've been in and then a lot of the players on the team that were on the team last year, I think it really um, helps us to understand the quick turnaround and what it takes to get refocused for this game. And not, yeah, totally also not get lost in all the theatrics. I mean, you saw when TCU arrived in LA, I believe they had a DJ and they're taking pictures and things. I'm not saying that's going to take away from anything, but the fact is like, you kind of have to know what you're getting yourself into and how to stay within yourselves now. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Matt. I know this is not a, an exciting thing to talk about on a podcast, but you know, what goes on behind the scenes in terms of preparing a team to play a game like this is a big deal. And like, I'm sure TCU had a nice plan, how to get ready for this and how to get their players over to LA and the practice schedule and all that. But there's a, there's a science, there's an art to being able to organize and plan practice to schedule all of that. When you have a, I mean, I know it's a a little bit more than you would have a normal week, but you don't have that full month. Like you had, it's just a different kind of animal. You're right. You had all the, you have a teleconference, you have all these press conferences you got to do. You get, you have media availabilities once you get there. And it's just a different kind of thing. So I I do think, you know, that part of it does help us to a degree. But, you know, to me, more than anything with this compressed timeline, 
I do. I agree. I think it favors us, but I think it favors us because when when a team has le- when two teams have less time to prepare and game plan and to put in, I, I don't know, like wrinkles. I don't. You don't put in like wholesale like new schemes, but maybe a new play here or there, a trick play here or there. Just do some different things. Well, when you don't have as much time to do that, what happens is talent, which I always think is the most critical aspect of who wins and loses games, but talent assumes even greater importance when you have less time to prepare. In a lot of ways, like when you have a month to prepare, you can do some different things. You can throw some different things at your opponent that that they haven't seen, they aren't prepared for, and that can be a factor in who wins and loses those games. It's harder to do that when you only have more or less a week to prepare. And that's why I think talent, you lean more on talent when you have that shorter time frame. And I mean, we'll go over here in a little bit, Curse. We have a decided talent advantage in this game. So I do think if it favors anyone, I don't know if it's that big of a deal at all, but if it favors anyone, I agree with you. I do think it favors the Georgia Bulldogs. But all right, man, the line... I don't know if you paid attention to the betting line, the spread on this one, Curtis, but the line has moved up and down a little bit. It opened at 13 and a half. You know, depending on what sports book you look at, you know, we're my bookie people here on the Glory UJ podcast. It's at 13 right now on my bookie. And if it stays there, it will be the largest point spread in the history of the national championship game in the cultural playoff era. Uh, in fact, even if it moves a little bit, it's still going to be the, the highest point spread, the largest point spread, because the next biggest point spread in the college playoff era was Bama minus six and a half against Clemson back in 2016, which is actually a game Clemson did end up winning. But the reality is, Curtis, there has been no point spread within a touchdown of this spread in the college football playoff era. TCU really is a historical underdog in this game. But saying that, I mentioned it. Clemson did win in 2016, even though they were a six and a half point dog to Bama. Ohio State, this might have been before you were even born, Curtis. Now, I guess you were young then, but you were alive. I don't know if you remember watching this game, but I remember watching this game when I was in high school. Ohio State was an 11 point dog in 2002 and found a way to beat Miami. So there's precedent for it, but there hasn't been an underdog really in my lifetime in the National Championship game, more so than what TCU is. So, Curtis, with that in mind, what has to happen? for TCU to find a way to win this game? I mean, realistically, you kind of have to see what you saw with um, what they with did against Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I think it's as simple as that. Like, they, you know, three big uh, turnover-worthy plays, including two pick sixes, like, they're going to have to win the turnover battle and not only win the turnover battle, but convert them into points. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Look, we have a a decisive talent edge in this game. I mentioned that a second ago. I'm going to go a little more detail here, all right? This is why the line is 13 points. This is why it's a historical line here, almost two touchdowns in a national championship game. It's something we haven't seen in my lifetime as far as I could go back and find point spreads. There's a reason for that. And the reason is Georgia just has significantly more talent. So if if you look at the 247 composite, I know there's a bunch of different ranking platforms out there and and networks and whatnot. I like the 247 composite because it takes all of them into account, right? Well, according to the 247 composite, Georgia has 15 five-stars on our roster. Kirk, let's take a guess as to how many TCU has. I think it's zero. One. They've got one. They've got one five-star on their roster. Four and five-stars combined, Georgia – has 68. TCU, only 17. I'm not saying TCU is not good, guys. I told you last week on Scout the Enemy episode, they're a really good team. They've won the games. They've made the plays to get here. They've got a little magic to them. They are a good team. But when it comes to talent, it's not even 
close. So when the talent gap is that wide, your path to victory is very, very narrow. I think there's two there's two paths to victory for TCU Curse. I think number one, you'd have to be like, all right, so if the overall talent gap is that big, well, you have to have a couple of generational talents at key positions that compensate for that overall talent gap. I, I go back to Clemson. Like Clemson, you know, when they were making their run in the, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, whatever, with Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence. Like, they had a lot of talent on their team. Don't get me wrong. But, like, up and down their roster, 185, they couldn't match up with Bama. But they had generational talents at quarterback primarily, had a couple really super talented receivers, and Travis Etienne at running back had some super talented guys there. So they were able, in some of those games, able to overcome the overall talent because they had generational talent at key positions. Kurt, I'm just going to ask you, do you think TCU has has enough generational talent to compensate for the overall talent gap in this game? You know, I don't. They have some big explosive players, and you know, I'll maybe touch on it more later. But I, while their players are very good explosive, they're not the type of players, in my opinion, that actually truly give us trouble. I agree. I are you talking about specifically Quentin Johnston? I am Quentin Johnson. Is one person you'll know, we'll probably touch on later, but you know. He reminds me more of what we saw with Tennessee players, where they had the straight line, you know, very fast, big physical guys. But that matches up more so with Keely Ringo and people like that, where people like Marvin Harrison Jr. and everything Ohio State had with the more shifty receivers are actually who give us more trouble. Oh, dude, I have that in my notes. I totally 100% agree with that, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. They have really good players. But are they generational players? Like Max Duggan is a really good player. I have so much respect for him. But generational, like we're putting him on Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence type stature. No, he's not that. Like he's really good. I know he's a Heisman runner up, but he's he's not that. He's just not. I mean, this is a guy that didn't even start the season as their starting quarterback. He lost the job in in the preseason. So yeah, awesome player, really good player, not generational. Quentin Johnson's a really dangerous player. You're right. But generational? No, man. This guy had two 200 yard games in the regular season. I mean, not he's not generational. They have good players, they're just not generational. So I throw that out. That path to victory, in my opinion, is not there for them. So what does that leave? That leaves option B. And that's where the more talented team plays very poorly, doesn't take the game seriously, and just generally makes mistakes that keep TCU in the game and then give a team like that a chance to win, which is exactly, as you mentioned, Curtis, that's exactly what happened last week with Michigan. Guys, I know you all watched the game. I'm just going to throw it out here one more time so we all understand this. Michigan gave TCU two... Pick six is not one, but two pick sixes, a horrific fourth down call to two yard line uh, that resulted in zero points on the first drive. They, I think they had what three, three possessions inside the 10 yard line, got zero points out of them. And then one of those was a fumble on the TCU one yard line. If you put those four plays together, curse, that's a minimum of 20 points, a minimum. So if we're assuming you take away the two pick sixes, that's 14 there. Fourth down and in fourth down and goal at the two yard line. If you kick a field goal there, that's three at 17. And if you don't fumble at the one yard line, if you don't score a touchdown there, you should get another field goal. That's a minimum of 20 points. Michigan gave TCU and TCU still only won the game by six points. And I think that's what I think that's been the biggest thing with me too is they barely won it by that when they were gifted. Or I mean, more or less gifted. Yeah, I mean they made the plays, but they had, you know, as you're mentioning, the the difference in points. Yeah, I don't know if Michigan could have done more to give TCU opportunities to win that game. I, I don't know if they could have like tried to do more. Like it's crazy, and they and you're right, they still only won by six points. And the thing is, Kurt, yeah, you know. Michigan's a really talented team, but we are significantly more talented than Michigan is. I mean, I know we didn't play them this year, but it's still a lot of the same players on the team, and we beat that team senseless last year in the Orange Bowl. So if Michigan made that many mistakes and they still only beat Michigan by six points, 
and we are, in my opinion, significantly more talented than Michigan, like we are going to have to have an all-time horrific, terrible performance. Like, it, like it's truly, curious. maybe the, one of the worst performances in the history of college football to not win this game. Like, I, and I know that sounds crazy and arrogant. I don't mean to be like that. I'm just, I'm looking. I guess this is a, a team I've watched all year long. They're really good. They deserve to be here, but like they, they should, they have no business winning this game. They have no business. So, like in my eyes, the only way TCU can win this game is truly. If we do what Michigan did and just absolutely wet the bed, like we had to commit multiple horrendous turnovers, make a ton of ill-advised decisions, give a big play after big play, and that's their only way. Because here's another stat for you, man. I, I looked up the numbers. Here. I was curious. So one of the things you look at, you you look up TCU's numbers. They're just a little over 1,100 plus 1,100 yards in their total yards margin, which is in line with like a typically an eight and four, nine and three caliber team. Like for instance, like Minnesota is a, is a team I threw out last week that um, actually has a slightly better total yards margin than TCU. Minnesota went nine and four this year. Uh, if you look at the teams that we've played this year, if you rank the teams that we've played by a total yards margin, TCU will come in fifth. Okay, they would come in behind. Obviously, Ohio State, they would come in behind LSU, they would come in behind Tennessee, they come in behind Oregon. And those other four teams that we have played that have better total yards margins than TCU, we beat them by an average of 20 points per game. So, again, in no way should TCU win this game. Now, I, I did say this last week, I'm put this out there one more time. So, I'm telling you how much better we are than them, and I, I do believe that we are. But even though there's no way they should win this game, don't mistake that for can't. Shouldn't and can't are two different things. Because in no way should have... TCU beaten Michigan last week in some way, somehow we all know that they did. So, you know, there's, there's a little bit of magic to a man. There's like the Cinderella thing. It's real. Like it's like they have been the cardiac frogs all year long. And I, I hope their luck runs out this week. I don't know, man, but they, they found a way all year. And there's, there's something to that. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, now let's get into the actual matchups on the field, Curtis. Starting with the Georgia offense, let's start there with the Georgia offense versus the TCU defense. Man, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever heard more 
about the 335 defense in my life than I have over the past week. You know, the narrative that's being pushed is that Georgia hasn't seen anything like it. Because I mean, apparently, Curtis, that 335 defense just flummoxed Michigan, even though the Wolverines put up 528 yards and 45 points. I'm not sure how that works, but apparently that's what happened. That's the media narrative. But I do want to get your take on this. How much does, I guess, the novelty of TCU's 335 defense concern you in this matchup? Um, I know it's different than like what Mississippi State and some of these other teams, especially I think like what Missouri used to run under Barry Odom. Yeah. I know it's different than that, but it doesn't scare me as much. I mean, when you think about it, everyone thinks so because they, they stunted Michigan's run game. Well, if you look back at Michigan's run game, especially since Blake Corum has gone out in the Ohio State game, they would not, they, I think they had like 75 yards rushing or something the whole game until Donovan Edwards broke those two big runs in the second half or in the fourth quarter. Um, so it's not like they were just some magical team that was beating up on everyone in the run game, especially once Blake Corum went out. So I think that needed to be taken into account. And I don't think McCarthy has ever had a game passing like he had against TCU. So my thing is it can be done. Um but you have to be ready for it. And I think this is where maybe the experience of Stetson Bennett compared to someone like J.J. McCarthy, who is really in his first year of being the guy, um, you know, it can mess with you. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly different for the quarterback from, like, his vantage point. But to me, what can, like, if anything concerns me, it's not, it's not as much about the quarterback. I'm fine with Stetson back there and him knowing what to do. Because basically what you have to do is just, you just have to look, okay, is it, you know, it's a snap. Is it middle of the field opens? Is it middle of the field closed? You look at those kind of things. Is it zone? Is it man? Like, look for those indicators. And you and Stetson, Stetson can do that. Stetson's been doing that all year long. I get more concerned about the offensive line um, because they can get very aggressive. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, simulated pressure. Uh, you have a lot, of, a lot of players coming from depth. So it's like who's coming, who's not. Because you only have three guys with their hand in the dirt is down linemen. So I think that makes it a little tougher. And just, you know, offensive linemen don't like to, they're not used to blocking like athletes in space like that. And it makes it tougher for them. So that's what concerns me more. But I mean, I'm honestly, though, I'm really not that concerned because this is not the first time we've seen like, it's, it's kind of like, I wonder how many of these national media members actually, like truly course, like how many of them actually watch Georgia football games? Cause they're acting like it's like, we've never seen this before in our lives. And it's like, nah, man, like we I mean, two teams for sure. at this point I've, I've lost all in the, the sports media after this week hearing them talk about how the weather was going to have an impact on this game it's just curse it's it's like it's asinine man and look i i mean i don't have all the answers i'm just i'm just an idiot here in athens you know doing my thing but like dear god like i wonder how some of those people get their jobs a lot of those people it's like dude do you watch anything like oh my god anyway neither here nor there but i mean this is not the first time that we've seen this curtis we played you mentioned mississippi state it's a little bit of a different-ish version, but still, it's a it's a version of a three-three-five. It's not it's not a carbon copy, but it, the concepts are the same. Where you have guys playing at depth, guys off the line of scrimmage. Kent State, I know the talent gap. I I know that Samford, I know talent gap. But at least we saw it. We practiced all week, three different times this year against different versions, different variations of a three-three-five. You go back to last year. We played. You mentioned Barry Odom, Curtis, Arkansas last year. I know it was last year, but a lot of the players that are playing on this on this team right now, offensively prepared for that right we had we've had prep time in the past now is it every week no we're we gonna be as comfortable with it as we would a traditional four down front no we're not going to be but to act like we've just never seen it and like we have like how is georgia possibly going to handle this like come on like michigan handled it just fine and we're better than michigan so i just put that out there we've seen it um their pass rush i've heard a lot of people talk about that like, how is georgia gonna be able to account for all these athletes i mean that doesn't concern me I, again like just do like the bare minimum research 
TCU is 100th nationally in pass rush rate. They really only have one dude that's even kind of a guy that rushes the passer. Uh, it's Dylan Horton, one of their defensive ends. They also don't really blitz. They actually they don't blitz much at all. They only blitz 14.3% of the time, and uh, that's actually last in the power five. So I, I don't, I'm not super concerned about the pass rush. What concerns me more, again, is the run game. Our offensive linemen in general, ours included, are just used to blocking. I mean, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but used to blocking big fat guys in line of scrimmage, right? They're not used to blocking all these smaller athletic guys in space that, that, are, that are operating from depth. That's harder for them. And TCU also got, at least against Michigan, they did some other times this year, but especially against Michigan, trying to take away, because they knew they were outmatched, like with the, their offensive line, Michigan offensive line versus the TCU front six. So they try to get hyper aggressive and they start, they were chasing pullers, like when they're trying to run counter and things like that. So they have, they, they do things like that, but we just have to be prepared for it. And I think that we've seen it enough this year to where it's not going to be like something that completely just throws us for a loop. I think we'll be okay. Uh, But Chris, if you were Todd Munkin, all right, let's put on your Todd Munkin hat here, man. What would your game plan be to attack this TCU three, three, five defense? How are you going to go about it? I think more than anything, we're going to have to use, we're going to have to try to establish the run game. Um, we're going to have to try to establish it to set up the play action pass. I think that's going to be a big part of it. But I think also we're going to have to attack them in space. Um, I think that's the biggest thing is their three three five. Is I believe they kind of use it more as a zone look out of it. They don't play man-to-man or anything. So they play they a lot of quarters. They, they, they do play some, man. They play a lot of quarters, yeah. Yeah, a lot of quarters, and so I think we're going to have to hit them in space. So I think that we're going to have to use the run. Kind of, We don't want to get into the situation like we played Mississippi State the last couple times with Todd Munkin where we can't really run the ball and we have to throw the ball. And I still think we can win if we do that, but we have to win the line of scrimmage and he has to do a job. And I think even in the run game, it can't be just up the middle. We're going to have to attack them on the edges. We're going to have to hit them all over the field in the run game. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. Yeah, they do play a ton of quarters. That's that's what they play more than anything, which is kind of like a hybrid zone, man, the way that they run it. They do run some straight-up man. They'll, they'll run some cover one, some cover zero stuff. Michigan did catch them a, a time or two in cover zero. That's how they hit some of their big plays. But they have two really good cornerbacks. And like it's, I'm sure if you've been paying attention at all, which I know all of you oh, listening yeah. out there, if you listen to this podcast, you have. You've heard this before. Uh, the Thorpe Award winner, I mean, we mentioned this last week, hot, uh, Hodges Tomlinson is the Thorpe Award winner for the best DB in the country, whether you think he is or not. He's certainly up there. And Josh Newton on the outside opposite him are both really, really good cornerbacks. My thought here, Curtis, and let me know if you disagree, but I imagine they're going to ask them to man up on the outside uh, because we know that Brock Bowers is our number one weapon on offense. So we have a bunch of guys that can hurt you, but Brock is like the number one guy. And as a defense coordinator, what do you want to do? I say this all the time. You make the offense play left-handed. Making us play left-handed is making someone other than Brock Bowers beat you for us. That's what it is. So I, I can't fathom how they're not going to try to bracket Brock underneath the linebacker and a safety over the top. That just, it's almost too obvious there. Um, and to do that, you have to trust your guys on the outside at, your, at corner. And I think that they do. And we, we, you know, throughout the year, we haven't had dynamic receivers, um, but that might be changing now with some of these guys getting back healthy. But honestly, Curtis, even if that's what they do, I'm okay with that because I don't think their safeties are very good. I think their corners are awesome. They are really good, but I don't think their safeties are good. We can run past them. Um, I think the middle of the field is what we need to attack. I still think Brock, because Brock gets that kind of attention every week and he still finds a way to make plays. I'm not worried too much about that, but I think we need to attack the middle of the field because that is where, 
we can do a lot of damage because again, their corners, I'm not gonna say they're going to shut down the, the outside the hashes, but that's where they're strongest. I think their safety is going to be run past. I don't think they're especially good in coverage. Michigan hit them multiple times for big plays in the middle of the field. And that also happens to be where Stetson at his best throwing the football. Stetson loves those dig routes behind the linebackers. He can layer it really well. That's, that's what we do. Well, I think that's where their weakness is. So it kind of just matches up there for us. And then you mentioned, Curtis, play action. One of the weaknesses of quarters, which is, again, what the, that's the primary coverage they run. It's not the only coverage they run, but they run that more than anything else. One of the weaknesses of quarters is that safeties have run responsibilities. So when they're reading, right, they're reading the release of the number two receiver, the inside receiver. And when they read run, they trigger towards line of scrimmage and run support. So that leaves any team that, that relies heavily on quarters, it leaves them very vulnerable to play action. But watching TCU all year as I have, TCU safeties are especially vulnerable to it. And again, Michigan hit them multiple times over the top doing that. And I think we have better receivers, better options, better weapons out wide than Michigan does. So, of course, I, I do agree that we need to run the ball. I, I agree with you there. You can't just come out and throw the ball, you know, 60 times in this game. But I, I think we need to come out swinging. Like, I, you know, Kirby talks a lot about, like, being the hunter. We're not, we're not satisfied just being the hunted. We're, we're going to go out there and hunt. I think, and we've done this most of the year, but this is another game where we need to walk the walk when it comes to being the hunter, like get the lead, force TCU to play from behind and take the air out of Cinderella early. You know, they, they have this magic, right? It's a Cinderella run. Everyone in America is going to be rooting for them. You know, they believe in like a team believing they can win is, is that is important. So let's take that belief out of them early in this game. I want to take some shots down the field. I think we can hit some shots. I would love to see, Arian Smith get another shot from the slot like we like we saw against like, basically every time Arian Smith comes to the game we take these basically we just say hey man go run deep run past this guy let's do that all right let's do that let's get Kenny McIntosh matched up in a favorable matchup on a wheel route uh let's see what Brock can do let's see what Darnell can do if he can play so I want to come out swinging take some of those shots and then play Georgia's football play Georgia football that's what we do Kirby. we get these leads like our mo get a big lead and then grind and just pound you into submission. That is what I think we need to do in this game because I think we can have a lot of success doing that. All right, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball here for, for a few minutes, man. Uh, I don't like having to talk about this because it, it does concern me, but Kurt, this, the Georgia secondary, we have to be real here, man. We can be subjective. Our secondary has been torched for a combined 850 passing yards on the nose and seven, seven passing touchdowns over the course of the past two games against LSU and Ohio State. And in the national championship, we happen to be facing a team with the Heisman runner-up at quarterback in Max Duggan and the likely first wide receiver taken in the NFL draft in Quentin Johnston. So, Kurt, like, how concerned are you, man, with our ability to defend the TCU pass game after what we've seen over the course of our past two games? Um, you know, of course, I'm concerned, especially because we have another mobile quarterback who can kind of extend plays. But as I kind of alluded to earlier, the difference is their receiving corpse doesn't, as even though, as you mentioned, um, Quentin Johnson will probably be one of, the, one of, if not the first receiver taken. But the fact is, I think he fits, is a much better matchup against our players than when you get more of the shifty, speedier guys. Because, I mean, no one thought yep. the Tennessee receivers could be shut down. I mean... One guy goes for over 200 yards and five touchdowns on like six or seven receptions against Alabama, and we come out there and completely shut him down, Jalen Hyatt, yep. and we completely shut him down. And I think that's the thing is it, it's about the matchup, and I think that this is a di completely different matchup that favors us. I, man, like you were like hacking into my computer reading my notes here, man. I totally agree. I really – like I know Keely Ringo Curtis has been just absolutely roasted 
over the past two weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about on the field. I, mean, I guess some, at times on the field, but also like in the Georgia fan base, it, this guy's been roasted. Like people I mean, are just he like, even I guy. roasted him. You and I have roasted him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. Like, yeah, but I still think Keeley's good. It's just like, he like any player. Like, there's certain matchups that favor him. There's certain matchups that give him trouble. And I like this matchup for me for the exact same reasons that you said. If you're talking about Quentin Johnson, now is he going to be matched up with Quentin Johnson every single snap? No, of course TCU's going to move him around and try to create some favorable matchups. But when he is matched up with Quentin Johnston, I like the matchup more than I like him on Emeka Buka or Marvin Harrison Jr. or some of those guys. Because as you said, both Ringo and Johnson are big, long, fast, like in a straight line skill players. That's what they are. What gives Ringo trouble are those shiftier, quicker wide receivers that make him change direction. That's what I, I've been very open all year talking about how I don't think Keely Ringo has great hips. I think he's he, he is not at his best when he has to change direction and flip those hips over and over again. He gets turned around. He gets lost. He panics. But And I'm not saying that Johnson can't win some some one-on-one matchups with Keeley. Of course he can. But I think this matchup favors Keeley more than some of the past couple matchups that we've seen over the past couple weeks where he's just been getting torched. So I, I do like that. And just in general, man, this TCU pass game, I don't want to completely disrespect them. They are good. Again, you have the Heisman Trophy runner-up at quarterback. Johnson will probably be the first wide receiver taken if you listen to NFL draft analyst out there. But they don't have the same level of player. These aren't. It's not the same caliber of what Ohio State had. It's not. Um, I don't know, I'm sure it's the same caliber of what Tennessee had, to be honest with you. Uh, Duggan just isn't that type of passer. Duggan is awesome. I have so much respect for him, as I said earlier, but he's not a super consistent passer. He throws a really nice deep ball where he puts it out there and gives his guys a chance to go run under it and make plays, but he isn't anywhere near as efficient as, say, like a guy like C.J. Stroud is. I mean, we mentioned it coming into the, the Peach Bowl. C.J. Stroud was number one coming into that game in accuracy plus throws according to PFF, which are like – what that is, those are throws that were not only do you hit the receiver, but you hit him and you put the ball in, in a position to where the receiver can catch it and continue to run, right? You hit him in stride, basically. He was number one in the country in that coming to that game. And I, that's one of the reasons I was really concerned about that matchup. Max Duggan, 51st in the FBS in accuracy plus throws. He's just um, an inconsistent, sometimes erratic passer. He throws a great deep ball, but man, the ball will sail on him at times, you know, in the short to immediate range. Um, in Quentin Johnson, like he's great. He's really, really good. He's dangerous, man. He's a home run threat, but he's also very hit or miss. I mentioned this last week, nine of the 12 games in which he has played this year, he was held to four catches or less in half of the games he played this year. Curse Johnson had under 70 yards receiving. That's let's, so let's not, he's good, but let's not act like this is Jalen Hyatt or this is a Mecca Buka or this is Marvin Harrison jr. It's not. He's dangerous. He can hurt us for sure. I'm not saying he can't, but he's not consistently that guy. And I like the matchup. So there's that. But um, yeah, I, I I'm not not concerned after what we've seen the past couple weeks, past couple games against uh, our, our against our secondary. But I'm also not freaking out about it if that makes sense. So, Kurt, you know, real quick here with the Georgia defense against the the TCU offense, how, how would you go about? attacking them like how do you try because this has been a really dynamic offense has been a really explosive offense the most explosive offense in the country 21 plays at 50 or more yards how do you go about trying to contain them slow them down a little bit I think the biggest thing is realistically um we are going to have to I think it's twofold I think we're gonna have to win and stop them in the run game because they're very big on wanting to hit play action passes. And then second of all, I think we're going to have to get to Max Duggan, but we're going to have to stay under control with our pass rushers and keep him more in the pocket. 
and not like yeah, it's what we've done a lot with the quarterbacks. I mean, you saw with CJ Stroud, if they get the chance to extend it, they're going to make something happen because DBs can only cover for so long. But do you think that we're actually going to put a spy on Duggan more than we did against Stroud? Because in that game, Curtis, clearly we did not account for Stroud in the run game because he never runs the ball ever before that game. So we said we don't have to. We don't have to put a guy on him. Do you think we do that to to Duggan in this game? I do think we have to do it because he has shown a propensity to run more than what you see with CJ Stroud. Yeah, I mean it's a big part of his game, man. I mean, he's I got, mean, think back know, to the think back to that last drive against Kansas State in the fourth quarter. That was what he did. When they like when they need a play, like Duggan will try to put the team on his back, and he he's just a tough dude, man. He's an absolute gamer. That's one of the reasons I have so much respect oh. for him. But um, I mean, he's a big time player, and he's he they they do a lot of design QB run stuff for him. Actually, yes, he has more yards with design QB runs. He has over 40 yards rushing on design QB runs, and like a little over 200 on scrambles. But reality is, we have to contain him because he like he also uses the run game tight in a timely fashion. Like he doesn't run the ball all the time. He runs the ball when they need it. Like when it's third and short, when they're in the goal line, or he'll, get, he'll get you sometimes on third and long too. When you bring the pass rush just enough. Yeah. If, if you don't it. account for him, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. We got to account for him. Man. Like we have, like, I think smile modern has got to be the guy. Um, if it's standard downs, I, I like it more on when we bring our dime package in. And in that situation, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like Jalen Walker matched up on him. What do you think about that? If we're in our dime package, like a third and longs. I think that is a better matchup. Just to me, as long as Pop is not on him, I think we'll can't, no, it can't be, be have, have a better chance of being successful. And I love Pop. I mean, we, Pop is awesome, but it can't – no. That, yeah, that's not, it just like, cannot be him. We just cannot no. rely on it, him to be it. Yeah, totally 100% agree there. I, I think we have to get – I mean, look, like we know we're not a great pass rushing team. I think we need to get some pressure from the interior here. Um, because like, like any quarterback, Duggan, when he – doesn't have a clean like with a clean pocket he he can hurt you man uh when he's pressure when that pocket's a little messy his passing grade drops dramatically and uh, he doesn't fare as well against the blitz and we we know that we don't pressure that well from the from the from the edges so we're gonna have to probably do some of that some simulated pressure stuff Jalen Carter needs to be big in this game um it'd be nice to get some pressure off the edge man maybe Michael Williams would be a guy that steps up and, and really helps us there maybe as the next factors we'll get to here in a few minutes but I think you're, you're right about stopping the run I think we need to be able to it's like every game that we play Curtis it's, it's no different we need to be able to stop the run with even numbers in the box especially against a team like TCU that is so explosive in their passing game or just explosive offensively in general we have got to maintain a two safety a two high shell for most of the game because without that like they're gonna hit some, they have a chance to hit some explosive plays. You know, we've been, like we said we've been torched quite a bit over the past couple of games. So being able to stop the run with even numbers is a good rushing football team. They run for over 200 yards a game. Have two really physical running backs in Demarcado and obviously Kendra Miller. If he's healthy, he's gonna go. We'll see there. And Duggan himself is a big, strong, physical runner. So we've got to be able to stop their run game with even numbers. If we do that, I, I really like our chances in this game. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Kurt, just a couple more things here, man. Uh, we all know the big names in this matchup Brock Bauer, Stetson Bennett for Georgia, Max Duggan, Quentin Johnston on the other side. And both teams are going to do their damnedest to not let those guys beat them, right? You got to make the other team play left-handed. So maybe this game comes down to the X factors, guys that maybe you don't expect to, to be the decisive factors in the game coming into it, but they end up being those guys. Maybe like Arian Smith was for us against uh, against Ohio State, Curse. So who are you going to pinpoint as Georgia's X factor in this game? If you had to pick one guy, or maybe if you want to give me two, that's fine. But who are those well, right, X factors? I have two, two offensively. I think it's going to be Kendall Milton and A.D. Mitchell. Okay, all right. Explain, explain Kendall for me. Because I think realistically the way Georgia has to win this game is kind of wearing down TCU because their defensive line is not very big. So we're going to have to try to impose our will, especially late in the third and fourth quarter. And I think that's when Kendall will be ready to thrive. As you've seen since he's gotten healthy, it always seems it's the third or fourth quarter that he goes and busts a big run because he's a little bit more fresh and we're able to lean on people. I like that. I like that. And you said 80? Yeah, AD because, um, you know, of course, Brock Bowers and people. But I feel like he's going to be the guy that's going to have to win in space to make some of these plays. Yeah, I mean, like, if, yeah, I totally – somebody on the outside is going to have to win. AD, Ladd, maybe Arian Smith, somebody's going to have to win. I totally agree with that. Uh, I'm going to go a little different here. So I like the, I like, I like those. Um, I'm going to go with a different running back. I'm going to go with Kenny McIntosh, specifically Kenny McIntosh as a receiver out of the backfield. Like I said, like I expect TCU to man up on the outside, and I fully expect them to try to take away Brock Bowers and put two guys on him as much as they possibly can. It's going to be our job to try to make sure that he moves moves around. It's harder for them to do that, but they're going to try to do it. So what is that? Like Somebody's going to have one-on-one matchups, right? And if we don't like the one-on-one matchups outside because their corners are really good, I think we can win some of those, but their corners are really good. I love Kenny McIntosh on either their linebackers or their safeties. I know there's a lot made about uh, about this 335 and how we could potentially have issues dealing with it Curtis right and how our offense you know has not had the has hasn't faced it as much or whatever I, I as I said earlier I don't think that is as much of a problem the guy that got a lot of hype Curtis in the in the Fiesta Bowl was D winners right they talked about him all game long and he had a great game in that game but he He's their best inside linebacker. He's their most athletic inside linebacker, but I still like Kenny on him. The other guys, Jamoy Hodge, and also especially Johnny Hodges, who's their, who's the, who basically plays like more or less middle linebacker for them. Those guys, Kenny McIntosh is going to torch them if given the opportunity. And their safeties, like I told you, I think their safeties can be run past. I think that Kenny can have a huge impact in this game out of the backfield as a receiver so i'm gonna go kenny there i'm also i mentioned him earlier i'm just gonna throw arian smith out there man it's the same reason i don't like their safeties i don't think their safeties are that good they're really on the outside i think we can have success in the middle of the field and i think arian can truly like literally if even if even all the guy can do is just run a, a go route he can run right past these guys and if we can protect stetson we're going to have opportunities to hit some big plays. So those are my two on offense. I'm going to give you one more here on defense. I mentioned a second ago, Michael Williams, Curtis. Yeah, Michael Williams. Mike, yeah, that's who I was going to go with on defense, too. 
Yeah, because like we don't know what I mean. Chas Chambliss has gotten a lot better. He's improved each and every game, but like we don't know his stash this game. I think he's probably going to try to go, but I don't know how much he'll be able to give us. And he's not a dynamic pass rusher anyway. The we don't we've struggled so much to rush the passer from the edge all year. Michael Williams is the best option that we have, and even though he's a true fresh, you know he beat Paris Johnson Juniors to be a first round draft pick uh, against Ohio State last week. And I think that he can have some success in this game. TCU's offensive line is good. They're not as good as Ohio State's. If he can give us some pressure off the edge without having to manufacture, like blitz a lot and bring five, six guys, then that can be a massive difference maker in this game. So hopefully Michael brings his A game in because we're going we're gonna to need that. We're going to need that off the edge. I'm also curious to see how we use him and how we play that position anyway. If Chaz can't really go, is it Marvin Jones Jr. gets more reps? Does Robert Beal just play a ton? Is Michael get some looks there? I'm curious to see how that ultimately ends up playing out. All right, man. Uh, real quick here. What are your keys to the game? Um, I think simply we have to win the turnover battle. I mean, I feel like that's always a go-to, but I think the big thing is we have to limit the big plays by them because they live and die by the explosive plays. Oh, a hundred percent, man. Yeah. I mean, without, expl- if they don't hit explosive plays, and can curse. I don't think they have a chance to win. Is that a stretch? Yeah, because they are not, they, I think they're only about 70% maybe a little bit higher, but only 70% in the red zone conversion rate. So I think that they have to hit the big plays because if we force them to go the whole field and then convert once they're in the red zone, it's going to be, they may have to settle for a lot of field goals. Yeah. Their, their success rate offense was like in the fifties. So like they're not a super efficient offense. They're a super explosive offense. So if we take away their explosive playmaking ability and we force them to go nine, 10, 11 play drives down the field consistently, there's no way in my mind they can score enough doing that to beat us. I just don't see it. They're going to have to hit explosive plays. So limiting that is huge. And my key, one of my keys again, curse along with that for that exact same reason is very simple tackle. We have got to yeah. tackle well on defense. Yeah, you saw Quinn Michigan Johnson break that one against Michigan, and, that, and it was really a lot of those missed tackles. A hundred percent. Like, Curse, they they know that they – like, they know Duggan's not, like, the most efficient passers. They run a lot of screens. Like, about a quarter of their snaps, like 24% of their offensive snaps are screens, which is number three in the FBS. They want to get the ball in space and let their wide receivers go to work. It could be Darius Davis, who's a really dynamic punt, kick returner. He's a guy that we can't let like, get loose either. Um, big plays on, in the return game. Quinn Johnston, Tay Barber. It doesn't matter. All those guys, they'll get them in space on screens and they'll let them go to work. And Michigan, had you mentioned it, Curtis, they, they had gotten the game within three points at the start of the fourth quarter. I thought Michigan was going to get them. And then – TCU hit them with a screen pass to Quentin Johnston. He took it 76 yards to the house. And Michigan missed multiple tackles along the way. You've got to tackle, all right? Kendra Miller, Mary DiMarcato, running back. Max Duggan, a quarterback. Big, powerful runners. You've got to get these guys on the ground. If we tackle well, and I think we can limit those explosive plays. A lot of their stuff is yak. They have a lot. Like, Curtis, in that game against um, against Michigan, Quentin Johnston had over 160 yards receiving, right? I think it was 111 of those were after the catch, were yak. We cannot let that happen. If we tackle, we limit their explosive plays, we win this football game. All right? You got anything else on there on the keys? No, I think those are my two biggest keys. All right, I'm just going to run through a couple things here real quick. I mentioned earlier, so I won't go into much more detail here. Just contain the run game. Contain the run game with even numbers. If we can do that, and I say what I mean by contain the run game, I'm going to put the number out here. Hold them to 100 rushing yards or less if we can do that no one's done they did the closest was texas and they had like 115 yards rushing against texas and they only won that game by a touchdown they almost lost that game but if we can hold them to 100 or less and we're holding teams on average to like eight like 85 yards a game on the ground and we can force them to be a drop back pass team they can't beat us they can't just that simple and then also last thing here before we get into our predictions don't be dumb 
Let's just cycle back to what we said at the outset of the show. We have to be stupid for TCU to win this game. We have to do dumb things, throw balls into ill-advised windows, get some game-changing personal fouls, special teams gaffes, turnovers in general, those stupid kind of things. We have to do a lot of those for TCU to win. So don't be stupid. Don't do dumb things. Simple as that. Simple as that, man. All right, Kurt, let's wrap it up here, dude. What is your official prediction? How do you see this one playing out? Do the dogs go back-to-back? They do. I have it as a uh, 37-27 win. 37-27, so winning but not covering. Yeah. Which is fair. I mean, that's that's not unreasonable at all. I, Curtis, I cannot get past the number I laid out there at the outset of the show. 68 four and five stars for Georgia to 17 for TCU. I can't get past that, man. That's that's such a significant talent gap. And Curtis, this is maybe like maybe the fifth or sixth most talented team we played all year. Maybe. Uh, doesn't mean they can't again, doesn't mean they can't win. It just means they shouldn't win. Uh, and we've been here, Curtis. Like we know the drill. Uh, TCU is really trying to play up the underdog disrespect card. And I have zero doubts that they're going to give us everything they've got. They're going to empty the tank, trick plays, whatever, man. They're, they're going to give us everything that, that they have. And that's and that's what I expect fully. But the talent gap is massive. Again, we played four other teams with better, better total yardage margins than TCU. And we beat those teams by an average of 20 points per game. This one is on us. If we play our A game, they cannot win. Even if they play the game of their lives, they cannot win if we play our A game because we are just too much more. We're just too talented. It's that simple. If we play our B game, they probably still can't win. Now, if we play our C or D game, they are good enough at that point to win this game. So the question becomes, which Georgia do we see? I personally think we get the Hunter version of Georgia. So with that in mind, I think the dogs win and cover. So, Kurt, I don't know, man. I feel weird saying that. Like, I feel like I'm putting, like, some bad vibes on the universe. But the, the inner Larry Munson to me is, like, just screaming at myself, what are you doing? You're killing us. You're jinxing us. But I got to call how I see it, man. And that's how I see it. But it all goes down Monday night as the dogs try to become the first program to go back-to-back in a decade since Alabama lasted it in 2011 and 2012. I don't know about you guys. I'm confident I feel like we should win this game, as you got from this episode, but I'm still freaking out, man. I don't know what to do with myself until game time. You know, due to our plans for the game, we had to record this one early, and I just don't know how I'm going to make it through the next couple of days with all the anticipation I've got looking ahead to Monday. But come what may, we will be here to break it all down for you guys next week. We appreciate each and every one of you for being here along the way on this journey to another national championship game. Can't thank you guys enough. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs!